0: Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Sometimes people ask me, Do you get nervous when Rich is up there? And I think we all know the answer. No, that was a lot of fun. When Rich and I were talking about uh, the theme of redep- redemption this morning, and uh, we, I mentioned, you know, well, we redeemed Coke cans. And he looked at me and he said, you want me to give the kids a Coke? No, no, that's not what I said. (laughs) So, uh, hey, I'm just really glad that you're here this morning. And uh, however God brought you here this morning, whether you're here all the time, whether you're visiting, I'm really glad that you're here this morning. And I'm not here, and some of you might, I just want to put you at ease uh, I am not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you dance. I'm not going to make you give us your name or we don't want your money. That's not, that's not what we're here for at all this morning. In fact, we're going to take an offering after my message. And if you're visiting with us, I'm giving you a pass. That's for our regular attenders. Don't want you to feel obligated. I'm not here to make you feel guilty about anything or bad about yourself. You know, the reality is is. Rich used the illustration being poured out. We've all fallen short. And we don't need to have a contest here about who is further away from God or who's blown at the moment. That's not what we're here for. And we've been doing a series, and it says on your bulletin there, our identity in Christ, and we've been talking about who we are in Christ. That is, who we are because of Christ in us. And when we think about that, it's not a positive thinking thing, it's just a matter of looking at how God looks at us, instead of how maybe we look at ourselves or how the world looks at us. And so we've been talking about that for a few weeks, and we purposely are ending with I am redeemed, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 10, and then we're really just going to focus on verses 7 through 10. But if you want to follow along, you can, if not, just listen and This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let me just say that this spiritual blessings is what we've been talking about. These are the things that we have been focusing on. Our identity are rooted in these spiritual blessings. And Paul's going to name a few here, and we've been talking about them. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to his purpose, to the purpose of his will, to the praises of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Uh, in Him, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. So all these things Paul talks about as these spiritual blessings. It's not me. Okay. Spiritual (laughs) blessings. And he lists several of them. The one that we're focusing on today is redeemed. We are redeemed. Um, And and the reason that we want to kind of think about these things and how they apply to us, um, just kind of one example when I was in, uh, started college, I was going to junior college, and uh, I wasn't the greatest student at that point in time. And I would keep signing up for what was called English 1A. And we were supposed to do writing in English 1A. And uh, I, I would just start off really poorly. And I would, I'd end up dropping the class. And I, I dropped the class like two or three times. And on the second or third attempt through English 1A, as I was struggling, the professor called me over. And I said, I'm just, I'm a really bad writer. And she said, you're not a bad writer. You're actually a really good writer. You're just a really bad speller. <laughs> oh. And she said, now, this, this was before, you know, spell check and all that kind of stuff. But I'll just let you know now, I can fool spell check. I'm really bad. But she said to me, she said, David, what I want you to do is I want you to write, and I don't want you to care about the spelling. And something changed in me, because now I had a confidence that I didn't have before. And in fact, about a year after that class, I was published in a biblical magazine. Now, that would have never happened if somebody hadn't come along and said, that's not who you are. And so God has come along, and he said, that's not who you are. And I don't know how you identify yourself, what sins you think about, which things that you wrestle with, that in your life you identify with. But what I want you to hear today is God saying, that's not who I created you to be. Now, this uh, passage that I just read, I just want to tell you, in the Greek, It's all one sentence. If one of my students turned in this paper, I would say, Paul, you have some really good ideas here, but your writing is terrible. Um, So uh, it's all one sentence, and so it's this one big thought, but we're going to break it down a little bit. We are redeemed. In Christ, we're redeemed. Some people uh, prefer the word delivered because the word redeemed has the idea of someone or something being purchased. There's really no way of getting around that idea in Scripture that we have been purchased, or as Paul has said in other places, you have been bought with a price. Now there's uh, different words that are translated uh, redeemed in our English Bibles, but some of them come from the Roman slave trade and it means to buy back or to buy the freedom of a slave. Now, there's three ways that someone could become a slave during Paul's time. Uh, One could be born into slavery. If mom and dad are a slave and you're born, you're a slave. The second way someone could become a slave is because they were captured by the Roman army or by a group of people, and you were captured. Rome didn't always do that. They liked to give people some feeling that they were free even though they weren't, but sometimes they would take a certain group of people and make them slaves. The third way that you could become a slave is because you were so indebted, you had so much debt that you couldn't pay that you would actually sell yourself into slavery. The interesting thing is that the Bible speaks of becoming a slave, that we become a slave in each of these types of ways. In Psalm 51, David reminds us that he was born into sin. He was sinful in his mother's womb. He was God, I was sinful from birth. In Psalm 19, David reminds us that we can be ruled by sin. He says, keep me from presumptuous sins. That those, keep me from those sins that I just kind of go into on my own that rule me. And then also Paul reminds us that the wages of sin, that is the cost of sin, is death. And so all three ways we end up in sin. Paul says, you've been redeemed. You've been bought out of that way of sin. We see this as the larger narrative of scriptures. As Rich pointed out, that we were born... Adam and Eve in the garden, perfect, without sin. Everything was the way it should be. We chose to sin. And God says in the garden, he curses and he blesses. And he says, "This there's going to be a seed that's going to come and it's going to crush the, the head of the serpent and it's going to bite the heel of the seed. And, and you're, you're looking at the story going, how is this all going to play out? And it all comes to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the larger narrative of scripture. But God shows us again in the, in the nation of Israel that he called out, and they end up in slavery in Egypt. Some of your traditions, I don't know if any of you have the tradition of watching the Ten Commandments last night. I was, I was glad to see it still, it still shows for those that are that part of that their, their Easter traditions. You watch the Ten Commandments and go to church on Sunday morning. But the story is of Egypt being in slavery. And God redeems them. He brings them out. He sends a deliverer who is from them, but he has been raised in the royal court and he carries them out and into the promised land. But if we're honest, those of you who are in Christ, it's also our story, isn't it? We were enslaved. We were separated. And Jesus redeemed us. He brought us out." Now, it's a process. Some of us are still wandering in the desert, going to the promised land, learning some things about God, but we're in that process. He's redeemed us. Now, this redemption, Paul says, results in the remission of sins. Verse 7, "...in him we have redemption, Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to his riches, uh, to the riches of his grace. The uh, definition of remission here, and it's it's, here in the taxes, is to cancel a debt or remove a penalty. I always joke with my students at Corbin. Uh, when we talk about forgiveness, I said it was if, if somebody just came up to you and said, Hey, I would like to pay your school loans. They all go, Oh, yes. I can relate to that. That would be wonderful. Right? So the idea of canceling a debt or removing a penalty, we have forgiveness of sins. A few clarifications here. He says uh, in this verse, again, um, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Some of your translations say out of his riches. I know I'm kind of being nitpicky here, but it's not just like God's remission of our sin isn't like I'm going to just take a little bit of my riches and just give you here a little bit, and you can have a little bit, and you get a little bit, and you go, that's not the picture here. He's saying out of the great wealth, he says, Here is the remissions of sin. It's costly. It's huge. It's just not some little thing. The word trespasses in verse 7. And we have all sorts of different words for sin. Sin means to miss the mark. We have wickedness and evil. And the Bible uses the word trespasses. Just just picture. You've, You've driven around and you've seen the signs before. On somebody's house says what? No trespassing. It's like an invitation sometimes. Well, what's over there? Right? Now we we don't want to do that, I don't think. Some of us are tempted, but the idea of trespass is to cross a clear boundary. We go across, and it's almost like we plant our flag. We say, Dave was here. That's a trespass. Now Sin means to miss the mark. We can all go, well, I just kind of missed a little bit. I was just off a little bit. But trespasses has something that's much more purposeful. And God says, the redemption that I give you provides the remission of sins, that, those sins that you trespassed against me. It's also interesting here, he says, which he has lavished, his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. There's actually some debate here on whether the wisdom and insight is something that he gives us because of the forgiveness of sin, or that the grace and the forgiveness comes out of his wisdom and insight. And I, I think as I've looked at this and studied this text, I believe that's what Paul is saying. And, and what it means is this. It's, it's not like... It's not like God looks at you and says, well, I'll forgive that person. Uh, They seem like a good person. They seem nice. They look good on Sunday morning. They went to church. I'm going to forgive them. No, it's that God has a deep understanding and insight of everything about you, of every thought, of every fear, of every sin, of every trespass. And he looks into the depths of your soul and he says, I will forgive that person. That's his grace and his wisdom and his riches. In Christ we are redeemed. That is a result of uh, the remission of our sins. It results in the remission of our sins and this whole process reveals his will. He goes on to say, making known to us the mystery. Anytime we see the word mystery, sometimes in the Bible we start freaking out as there's some hidden numbers in there, there's some different ways we're supposed to move all the letters around to get a secret message. That's not at all what this means. In Hebrew literature, a mystery is a secret plan of God that will be revealed or become apparent in the end of time. I, uh, I saw an interview with uh, Mark Hamill. Uh, some of you might remember Luke Skywalker. And uh, I don't want you know, to give any spoilers here of the movie. Most of you have seen it, but uh, some of you might want to uh, uh, you know, watch it with your kids and, and not tell them the, the end of the story. But there's a famous scene in there where Luke is having a... Uh, lightsaber fight with, with Darth Vader. And in that, they have a discussion about who's Luke's father is. And when they filmed it live in that scene, when they put that all together, Darth Vader says, Obi-Wan killed your father. And Luke says, no, is that true? And Darth Vader says, search your feelings. And he goes, ah, Darth Vader cuts off his arm and he falls down. So so Mark Hamill goes back to his trailer and the director comes in and he says, I'm going to tell you something. And I know it, George Lucas knows it, and now you're going to know it. And if anybody finds out, we're going to know who leaked it. And he hands him the paper saying who his father is. And Mark Hamill said, I said, is that true? And the director said, search your feelings. <laughs> but Mark Hamill didn't tell anybody. And when he was watching the premiere, sitting there in the premiere, and it comes out and they've changed the lines in there. Some of you, most of you know who it is. They changed the lines. What's, I, I forgot his name, Han Solo, what's his name? Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford turns to him and he goes, Hey kid, you didn't tell me that. With an expletive. And so that's, that's a mystery, right? There was something hidden until it was revealed, and when it was revealed, it changes the whole story. You go back and you go, Well, now wait a second. And then they made one, two, and three and really messed it all up. But they, they go back to the whole story. And it all means something. That's a mystery. When we get to Jesus Christ, it's all fulfilled in him. And you go back and you read the story. The Bible may seem confusing to you. The Bible is one complete story that just points to Jesus Christ. And when you go back and read it with that thought, it makes so much sense. That's the mystery. And so Paul says... He is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set for us in Christ. God's plan is set forth in Jesus Christ. Now, this fact that he redeemed us and that we have forgiveness of sins and that God is revealing his will all these things bring us under his rule. He says, um, as verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's rule unites all things. Now, whether your translation says in him or under him, the idea is the same. God unites. He is in the process of bringing all these things under his rule. Now, look, I read the newspapers. <laughs> Nobody reads newspapers. I have the internet. I watch the news. We go, man, are things under God's rule? God is at the, Jesus is at the right hand of God, and he is in the process of putting all these things under his rule. And how, we go, how do we know he's going to do that? How, how do we know he has the power? I, I'm scared. And we look back and we look at the empty tomb and we go, oh, yeah. That's how he can do it. Because he lives. He can change tomorrow. God is in the process of bringing all things under his rule. And there's, there's one thing that we kind of miss in the biblical story. That God's rule is going to change. When God created us, and he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, they enjoyed his presence. The creator walked with them in the cool of the evening. They they talked with God, like like a person talks to his friend. You and I, we pray, and we study God's word, and we try to figure these things out, but We have been so far removed from God's presence. And he is offering us that relationship back when we're redeemed to be in his presence. So how do we apply this this morning on Easter? Um, There's a few things I would say. First, are you in Christ? Christ? There is a a condition. This idea of redemption and remission of sins and living under God's rule and returning to his presence, it's predicated on this phrase, in Christ. So how do we get there? I think sometimes we're trying to make this too difficult. And Baptists, we're, we're, we're guilty of it. We say, oh, yes, God is grace and free and just, just ask Jesus into your heart. And then we get into the Baptist church and they go, well, you should probably do this, 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 and this too, just to make sure. Here's the deal. To be in Christ, Jesus came and he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Some of us need to repent of the old ways that we lived or the things that we followed or the things that we valued and repent means to turn from it. The Bible says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Do you believe the story? Do you believe that God so loved the world that he sent his son and that he lived a perfect life and that he died on the cross for your sins and for mine and that he rose again and that he's alive. Do you believe that? And it, if you can confess that, that he's Lord, like king, in, in charge, ruling, if you can confess that and believe that, and you've turned from and follow him. Are you in Christ? There's not a magic thing that we need to do. Are you in Christ? Second, are you living as somebody who's redeemed? The idea of being redeemed, being bought out of that, is that we don't go back to the old way of life. Now, let's be honest. If you, if you read the story or you watched the movie last night, which is a perfect picture of that, Egypt is delivered. Uh, Israel is delivered from Egypt, and they cross over, and the first thing they're like is, oh, we're hungry. We wish we could eat some of the garlic back in Egypt. We want to go back there. You go, and you're, you're going, who wants to go back to slavery? That's... That's that's a but don't we do that? I'm not I'm not going to touch that stuff anymore. Maybe just a little, right? We just we keep going back to Egypt. We need to live like redeemed people, and that means that we make mistakes but we keep growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ because we're redeemed. Maybe you're here this morning and um, I just crammed a whole lot into 20 or 25 minutes. I get that. We were trying to be sensitive, the kids in there, and celebrating, Easter. but man, so much I want to say. Well, you know what? It's a funny thing. We do this every Sunday. Maybe, do you need to know more? Next Sunday, we are starting a new series uh, in the book of First Thessalonians. And uh, I purposely always try to start a new series, the, the Sunday after Easter, because it's kind of like a, cliffhanger, come back and see what's, what's coming next week. And 1 Thessalonians is one of the first letters, I think it's the second letter, that Paul wrote to the churches, just really early. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. This is what a church looks like. So if you're here this morning and you go, man, redemption sounds good. What was that inheritance he was talking about? What does it mean to be redeemed and a Christ follower? Then come back. And find out what it means to be a church and what it means to follow Jesus. If you're here this morning and you have any questions at all, we want to answer those. If you're here this morning and you need any prayer, we want to pray for you. I want to say to you this morning, and some of you have been around in church, some of you have been gone for a while and all this stuff, I just want to say this to you this morning. If you're in Christ, you've been redeemed. If you're in Christ, you're one of his children. If you're in Christ, you have a glorious inheritance waiting for you. If you're in Christ, you're free. If you're in Christ, you're blessed. If you're in Christ, you are his child. And if you're here this morning and you're going, I don't know if I'm in Christ, then don't leave here before you are sure that you have placed your life in Christ so that all these things might be yours. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity to have kids, families in worship this morning. Um, Lord I just thank you for each person here it's great to see um, family and friends and uh, new faces and we just praise you for that God may we be a church that lifts up Jesus Christ and uh, I just want to pray for those that are here this morning who are wrestling with who they are what they've done whether God loves them whether they could be in Christ, whether they could really experience any change, God, I pray that you would just give them the courage. I pray that your spirit would draw them into relationship with you, that we would seek after you and follow you. I pray that this morning would be life-changing for a few, that they would experience Christ for the first time. Lord, help us to know you and make you known. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.